Tennessee State finds their quarterback of the future in a familiar place. Ross Jackson tells us how Holmes and Anderson are performing in Saints minicamp. And Texas Southern is one of the seven most winningest teams in the nation. Oh, yeah. It's Locked On HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked On HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and as an HBCU alum. I want to give a special shout-out. I should have done this yesterday, but I forgot. I want to give a special shout-out to all of my graduates who did graduate over the weekend, no matter what your HBCU is. Shout out to you. Congratulations. And remember, this is a journey that does not stop once the microphone is cut off. You can follow me at South Exclusives on Twitter. I'm going to give another shout out to everybody on there. Just because I forgot I'm going to do it on the show, and I'm also going to do it on Twitter. But first, let's talk about Tennessee State, because Tennessee State may have just found their quarterback of the future in a, in a way that they have done before, specifically last year. It wasn't the quarterback of the future, but they did get their starting quarterback in the transfer portal. And now Draylon Ellis is coming over from Austin P. Um, excuse me, from Austin P. And he is going to be there at Tennessee State. This is a team that is in the same conference, in the Ohio Valley Conference, and also in the same state as Tennessee State. So they know him pretty well. But like I said, this mirrors a move that they did last year for Jeremy Hickbottom. They got him from Grambling, ironically. Uh, it's kind of funny to me, at least, that they got Hickbottom from Grambling. And then a year later, Hugh Jackson goes to Grambling. Obviously, he didn't take Hickbottom with him. Hickbottom graduated and everything of that sort. But I guess it was kind of a trade. Hey, look, you take our you take our uh, quarterback in a year, we're going to take your offensive coordinator. But you'll see. I mean, it worked out, right? Or right, We'll see if it works out for Grambling, at least. And I think that it worked out for for uh, Tennessee State, they have one of the better passing attacks, but this move to get Ellis is only going to level that up because they had the second leading passer as far as yards per game at 181 yards. But then you look at, or excuse me, they had that in Hickbottom with Tennessee State, but then you look at P's quarterback. I'm talking about Ellis. This guy was in 200. He was well above what Hickbottom has. So this is only going to be a level up. And this is a guy that they have seen three times throughout his career. He's only been here in college for the spring and then also in the fall. So Tennessee State was able to see him once in the fall when they faced off against each other. And then they faced they faced Austin P twice last year. So they were able to see him two times. Now, in the first two matchups, they actually handled uh, Ellis pretty well, in my opinion. They, you know, in the first game, he was five for 17, only 100 yards. That was one of his uh lesser games of that season it was only six games in that year but that was one of his lesser games and then you look at the first matchup in this year they handled it as far as efficiency i thought his completion percentage showed that it was not an easy game for him at all but then in that third game he kind of started to get loose he had three touchdowns one of which was on the ground he had a better completion percentage he started building up more confidence and that was the last time that they played each other but here's my thing see if you're getting somebody that you have a lot of familiar familiarity with, you know their strengths and you know their weaknesses on a level that you would not know if it was just some guy you were watching. 
You know what I mean? So when I look at it, if you have a guy from, I don't know, let's just say from Montana State coming in, right? And that guy is, tr is transferring in. Yeah, you can watch his film. You're going to understand his strengths and his weaknesses because it's what you need to do. But if you're playing against this guy, you've been game planning. You've been sitting here preparing. Three times they've game planned on how to stop Ellis. And like I said, two times they did pretty good. I give them to it. I give it to them. That last time, not so much. But the first two times they did pretty good. But if you're game planning on how to stop somebody, you know what they don't do well. And not know, knowing what somebody doesn't do well is kind of underrated because if you're a part of my team, I need to know what your strengths are for I, so I can accent those. But then also, I need to know what your weaknesses are because if I know what your weaknesses are, I know what positions not to put you in. See, clear. I want to know what positions to pitch, put you in, but I also want to know what positions not to put you in because you might be skilled when it's talking about 15 to 20 yards down the field. But if we're talking about 10 to 15, you might just not have the same accuracy over the middle. I need to know that. And having a player that you've gone against three times in basically a span of a year allows you to have a pretty good understanding of what to do and what not to do with that quarterback. And let's acknowledge the fact that, yes, he they, they he didn't have the best games against Tennessee State the first two times. But to get a guy that you've done pretty well against, that speaks to the talent that's there. He's not in the transfer portal because of talent. He's in the in the transfer portal because of team discipline, disciplinary issues. That's what he's in the transfer portal for. But it ain't a question of talent. And clearly, you know, I, I know that Tennessee State did their research. And in, in the words of my favorite rapper, Isaiah Rashad, look, they must not care about the things that Austin P cares about. It's just that simple because they were willing to take that risk. And it will level up. In the talent department, let's read off this resume that that um, Ellis has already started to build for himself. First off, he was the co-freshman of the year in that spring season for the OVC. In addition to that, he came in eighth in the Jerry Rice Award finalist or final rankings. So he was one of the best freshmen in all of FCS. This is the type of guy that you're getting. I could really stop there, right there, but I don't want to because I really want to hammer this home. In, in his two seasons, in six games in the first season and only, I, I think, 10 in the second season, you're looking at a five-time OVC player of the week. So let's just say he's at about 15. Let's just say he's at about 15. Every three weeks, he has won offensive player or excuse me player of the week that is extremely impressive this is a guy who has done so much like i said the leading he led an offense that was the leading offense in the conference yes ut martin had more overall numbers more scoring and more and more um yards but that was because they played more games but on a per game basis they had more yards they had more uh points they were the most prolific offense in the ovc this year this is the type of quarterback that you are getting on your team. You know him well. In the same way that the familiarity with uh, with Austin Peay's former quarterback, or excuse me, with Draylon Ellis, is going to benefit Tennessee State, that familiarity with the OVC is going to benefit Ellis because there is no learning curve. I know exactly how y'all play football in this conference. Y'all know how I play football, too. Let's just get back to work like we did last year. I'm extremely excited. I think they got the quarterback of the future, as fickle as that term is, because I mean, you can only be in school for, for four years, really five max. But I think they have that guy in Draylon Ellis. Now, going forward, I'm going to talk about some guys who have left college. They are HBCU graduates. They came out of Jackson State and also Alabama A&M. I want to talk about D. Anderson. 
And I also want to talk about CJ Holmes and how they're performing in Saints rookie minicamp. So, of course, you know I was going to bring my guy Ross Jackson on. It was the only way to do it. I have to ask the guy who is more in the know than anybody else that I'm in contact with. This this the man. I got to ask him, how are my guys from the HBCUs doing? But first, let me tell you about Built Bar because Built Bar is the best protein bar on the market bar none i mean they have a multitude of flavors that are just absolutely delicious and they sound sweet like banana cream pie as a protein bar that doesn't sound like it would make sense it doesn't sound like it should be healthy they should you know butt heads but they don't they taste absolutely delicious and they're absolutely great for you 17 grams of protein four grams of sugar four net carbs and then let's not even forget you have the built puffs so they're all covered in chocolate all of them but at the same time, this has covered in chocolate and marshmallows and all of the protein. This is an absolute fantastic combination that does not make sense, but I know it tastes good and it does well for me. I ate it on my way to the gym and y'all know my favorite. I've been waiting to tell you is blueberry muffin. That's not a puff. It's a regular, but I enjoy it. If you go to built.com, you will find a, I, I refuse to believe you will not find a flavor that you will enjoy. And when you go, use lock 15 for 15% off your offer, please. All right, so keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Every day, I appreciate it. And make sure that you're checking out the Locked on NBA Big Boards podcast, hosted by Rafael Barlow, host of the NBA Draft Junkies, and also author of the NBA Big Boards newsletter. Now, he will be joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving an in-depth look into the NBA Finals, or excuse me, NBA Draft, NBA Mock Draft, and as the name would suggest, also the Big boards now today's word of the day is epithet and it means a disparaging or abusive word or phrase now before we get into using that somebody who isn't going to be using any epithets is my guy ross jackson from locked on saints he's going to be giving us an update on how cj holmes and d anderson are looking in saints minicamp okay ross now all Saints fans around the world can rejoice because <laughs> the Saints have reloaded at wide receiver. I know. Let's just take a second to admit that because we are very ecstatic. Now, DeAnderson is a guy who has a little bit of a wide receiver tight end versatility, but I would assume mm -hmm. that he would be a tight end now. Where is he fitting in that room if that is where the Saints have him? Yeah, so far, I mean, he's kind of been working out with the other wide receivers that are also working out, but we'll have to see what that actually means for him in the future as the roster starts to take place and everything like that, and they'll start to sort of move around those position designations a bit once we're through rookie minicamps and then the other players show up. So it's a lot of like tryout stuff right now at the moment. So if he ends up making the team and then ends up moving forward, I would imagine that a move to tight end would make a lot of sense for him. Just like we saw recently with Juwan Johnson and New Orleans Saints doing the same thing. He came in as a wide receiver as an undrafted free agent, but then they moved him over to tight end and D Anderson right now. I mean, when you look at him in rookie minis, it's not, it, it, it's hard to miss the guy. I mean, he's six foot six, 200 plus and everything. So, you know, he's bringing all of that size, all that athleticism that he packs as well. You see out on the field, even when he's just running routes on air. So he's been a lot of fun to watch so far. We'll see exactly if he gets the opportunity to continue to move along with as many camps and all progress, but would love to see him in camp uh, come what July, August. And DeAnderson is not the only HBCU guy that the Saints have on the roster. They also have CJ Holmes. Have you been hearing anything about either Anderson or Holmes maybe standing out during practice these last couple of days? 
Yeah, Anderson has certainly gotten a little bit of attention, mostly due to his physique, as we just mentioned. C.J. Holmes, right now, not a lot of buzz around him thus far, but he's also in a pretty crowded room at this point as well. You have a lot of you know, Saints undrafted free agents and rookies that are coming in at that DB position, as well as a lot of workouts and tryouts there. So it, just because we're not necessarily hearing his name right now doesn't mean that the coaches aren't liking what they're seeing from him outside of what the media is seeing from him. Because remember, the media is only seeing individual drills and and stretching. That's all that we get to see at this point. So for right now, up until we really get an idea of seeing them in one-on-ones or whether it be, you know, seven-on-seven drills, things like that, I would reserve a little bit of judgment around not hearing his name thus far because it might be that he's standing out, but just not while media is around. So certainly somebody that the New Orleans Saints are excited to have in the building, three HBCU prospects there right now, and they love having those guys around. And they've gotten a closer look at them outside of maybe some of the other franchises around the NFL here over the course of the last couple of months. Yes, they have. And that would be with the Legacy Bowl that was in New Orleans, Louisiana, right? right? And how do you feel like that bowl being in the city, specifically right there, so that the Saints, some people had to fly, the Saints were able to just drive up the street and they were able to get there. How do you feel like that close proximity influence picking up not one, but two HBCU players after the draft? Yeah, it's great. It's great. And I mean, it it puts them in a situation where they get an opportunity to get a little bit of a closer eye on them because there they are in their backyard. And not only is the game at the Superdome, but the practices were at the Saints training facility. So they really had an opportunity to see them all the time. They didn't really have to drive anywhere because they were all at work already. So they were able to like sneak a peek and, and, and go in there and take a look at some of these guys. And so I think that, you know, all of that being said, it gives the these HBCU players immediate exposure to at least one team with the with the New Orleans Saints. And then with the HBCU Combine being in Mobile, Alabama, that's not much of much travel for the New Orleans Saints at all. And you know, all we gotta do is get the Bayou Classic back in. New Orleans where it belongs instead of it being over in Shreveport and maybe you'll get that look as well but I still think that with HBC with the uh, legacy poll being there and getting sort of that all-star treatment that all-star game there it's huge for these players to have that opportunity to be able to practice in an NFL facility perform in an NFL stadium and have the exposure of NFL scouts right now I want to ask you one last thing when we're talking about these guys we re- we recently saw Will Adams sign his contract to the Commanders. We recently saw Felix Harper sign his contract to the Browns. They were camp invites. Now, they had the earlier session of rookie mini camps, of course. Mm-hmm. But if the news were to come out that D. Anderson or C.J. Holmes had signed a UDFA contract, when should we be expecting to hear about that? Just so we can have our eyes open. I would imagine that that would be at some point over the course of this week as OTAs and mini camps sort of continue to take form and, and roll along. You're right. Those teams had the earlier sessions when it came to rookie minis. Now you basically get to a point here to where the team will be able to make some offers if they want to keep those guys around, but also gives the representation of those players opportunities about whether or not they want to accept a further camp invite with the New Orleans Saints or feel that they may have earned something elsewhere based upon maybe some relationships or maybe some hearsay that's been going around about their performances at Saints training camp. So there's a lot of different routes that it can all go. It doesn't all necessarily mean that the team didn't show interest, but certainly that's going to have to be the first step. And I think it's going to take at least a couple of days to see that happen. The New Orleans Saints right now have been sort of bringing in veterans and keeping their focus on veterans at this point, but expect them to be able to look over everything that they've worked on over the course of this weekend and start to make some decisions on those tryout guys later on this week exactly and it's always much appreciated when you come on my guy ross now y'all know how we kick it off right we always kick it off with a play my music ross can i get a play my music out of you 
Oh, oh, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Play my music. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, I want you guys to know that when I did my first episode, Ross said, hey, that's the one. So if you that's like it. it, if you like to play my music, thank you. It's all me. I came up with it. I take all the credit. There you go. If take you don't credit. like take it, credit. tell that Locked On Saints guy that he gave me some bad advice. <laughs> but either way, I appreciate you guys coming on. And I appreciate you, Ross, for joining the show to give us some insight about Holmes and Anderson. Always a pleasure, homie. Thanks for having me on. Of course. That was a great Play My Music by Ross, but let's not let it overshadow the great insight that he had as well, talking about how D. Anderson's size alone has attracted a lot of eyes towards him. It just makes sense because the guy is huge. He's a big guy, right? But going forward, I want to talk about my alma mater. I want to talk about one of the best teams in the nation, Texas Southern men's basketball, because a stat just came out that I thought was quite eye-opening and it puts Texas Southern up there with the best of the best in all of NCAA men's basketball. But before, but before we get into that, let me tell you about Bet Online because Bet Online is the best place for all of your wagering needs. Eastern Conference Finals is here. Western Conference Finals are here. It's really that simple. Don't go anywhere else. Don't. No. Come right here, the number one place for all of your sports wagering, whether that's esports, MMA, NFL, because we also have the NFL futures. You can already put your money down, not only on how many wins you think your team is going to have, but then also who's going to win the division, who's going to win the conference, and of course, who's going to win the Super Bowl and a variety of awards. You can do all of that already on your NFL futures. Just go to betonline.net because they are the fastest and easiest way to wage on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked On HBCU. Texas Southern is one of the best teams in all the men's basketball in the month of March. Yes, you heard me right. I'm talking about everybody, I'm talking about your, your Dukes. Your Kansas is. I'm talking about some of the biggest powerhouses, North Carolina. Texas Southern is right there. There was a tweet that was put out earlier this week, and it really opened my eyes because I knew Texas Southern was good. I, I mean, I went there, right? But I didn't know just how good they were. The tweet put out said, from the years of 2021, or excuse me, 2010-2011 to 2021-22, Texas Southern has the seventh most wins in the month of March. Everybody, everybody in the nation is eligible to have wins. <laughs> everybody can. And Texas Southern is at number seven. This is remarkable for a, a bunch of reasons. And listen, next time somebody wants to spew out their, their epithets about how Texas Southern or really HBCUs, matter of fact, all HBCUs, I'm welcoming in because I'm, I'm a generous guy like that. You can, you can revel, you can, you can love this success with us. I'm allowing you to do it right now. Some people wouldn't be this nice, but me, I like you. So you can do this. Everybody can take pride in this. When they try to spew their epithets about how HBCUs are this and HBCUs are that, tell them that H an HBCU in Texas Southern over the last 12 years has been one of the best teams in the month of March, period, when it comes to men's basketball does not matter who you want to – you can't put any parameters around it. I'm talking about everybody in the nation on a D1 level. They've been just that good. Now, let's get into some of the reasons why it's so impressive. And the clear one is, number one, 
an HBCU is here. And it's not that HBCUs can't, you know, win games, but we're talking about opportunities. If you had to ask me, if I had to ask you, if I had to really ask anybody who are the 10 most winningest teams in the month of March or have won the most games in the month, month of March, who do you think they're saying? They, they, they give me the Dukes, give me the Kansas, they give me the North Carolinas, you know, they give me the Kentuckys. I, and I understand that. I completely get it. Texas Southern is not probably not one of the first 15 names that people would think of. It, it, it just isn't. And it, it speaks to how much talent that they have. Yes. But the reason it's remarkable is because HBCUs typically aren't on this list because they don't have the opportunities. They just don't play as many games. For the record, they, they played five games, or excuse me, six games in the month of March this year. They won five of them. If we just extrapolate that over 12 years, you're looking at 72 games. They won 55. I know they're not always only playing six games in the month of March, but I'm just saying. The opportunities vary because, yes, HBCUs have the opportunity to go deeper into the playoffs, but usually they don't. These Power Five, these big schools, typically, I'm not saying every single year, they can lose in the first round as well, but if we're just going over 12 years, I'm going to safely assume that they went deeper than one game in the, in the tournament on multiple years. TSU, at best, had had a playoff play-in game and then a, a game that they lose against the one seed, two seed. That's typically how that goes down. So the opportunities are not matching up, honestly. So for them to be this high, I'm sitting there like, yeah, you're right, I'm happy. And you, you're right. And let's get into the teams that they're around because I don't care that you have SWAC tournaments. and it, No, six games that they played in the month of March. That's it. So the smallest concern, who they played and who they won the games against. Let's get into the teams that are around them. And this is the list in order. Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Oregon, Michigan, Duke, Texas, Southern. That's it. That's it. The only schools above them are Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Oregon, Michigan, and Duke. They're tied with Villanova at 55. But here are some of the teams that are below them. Michigan State. Yes, with Tom Izzo, Michigan State, Gonzaga, San Diego State. That was also a team that me personally, I just didn't know was that good at, at basketball. Um, but they're also over Arizona and my guy Brandon. You know, I love taking shots at Florida when I can. They're also above Florida that they beat this year, which doesn't really mean anything other than the fact that they beat Florida. And I feel like saying it again. But those are the teams that they are above. I'm talking about teams like Florida, Michigan State, that you're used to being pretty good teams. You know, you would think that they would have these opportunities and really all of these schools. You just would not expect a, a school that this year played only six games in that month to be one of the seven best teams, seven win the most games over the last 12 years. And one other thing that is really remarkable before we round out is the revolving door. This happened. This is some somewhat of luck, but this happened right as Texas Southern started on their rise. Because in 2009 to 2010, which was, a, which was a year before this market was set, they had their first winning season in, I think, like seven years. So you're looking at the uptick in success for Texas Southern lined up perfectly with where this, this list was starting to be created at. So just a year after, man, they've been through three coaches. They've been through three coaches, and it's not because they haven't been good, clearly. But it is because they just continue to succeed, 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 and they know how to pick a coach. When it's time to move on, they know how to pick a coach. 
You know, when Mike Davis came in, he had big shoes to fill. When Johnny Jones came in, he had big shoes to fill. And they both have filled those shoes. And it's about getting consistently good coaches. But then those coaches know how to consistently get good players. Because there was a span where TSU had five. Let's let's hit the book. Five time, five time, five time, five time, five time, five time, five time in a row. Swack players of the year. They skipped the year, then they had another one. This team has been so adept at getting good coaches and good talent that they have been able to be one of the most successful teams. And I, I say this with the utmost bias, but enough backing so I can say it with my chest. Texas Southern is the standard for HBCU basketball. I am an alum. You don't agree? I love you. You agree? I love you. It's okay. It does not matter to me because I feel how I feel, and I'm a proud alum of the illustrious Texas Southern and that's what we're going to end it on. And I appreciate you coming on, staying for my bragging and my boasting. My TSU people, love to you. I appreciate you coming on here and making a, a Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day. Now, for your second listen of the day, make sure that you're checking out one of our other conference shows. Like I always say, check out Locked On ACC. You've seen Candace on the show. Candace Cooper is running that one. Then you also have Chris Gordy at Locked On SEC. Then you're also going to have Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Big 12. There are so many shows to get into on the Locked On Network, and you know we're only producing the best content. Tomorrow, don't be afraid. We're coming back again, and we're hitting it strong, talking about another guy in the transfer portal, but this time on the basketball end. In the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.